We're a military family and we have seen a lot of the country by now. Every time that we've had a, a military move, I've always started doing searches and we usually have three or four churches listed and so Northwood was the first one on the list. And uh, when we came actually that first Sunday, Sammy was only 18 months old then and so he was put in nursery and he made it through the entire service. And when I went to pick him up, I told the dad, I'm like, we're staying, this is it, we're staying. And it's the first time that we've ever moved that we didn't visit anywhere else. Yep. We literally, literally the came, only church we've been we've to. only church we've been to here. You know, you go in, you feel welcome right away. You're, you're comfortable right away. You have a cup of coffee in your hand. <laughs> and it's just a warm and embracing atmosphere. Some places, I mean, we've flat out been to churches where they're just not military family friendly because they know how transient we are. Yeah, we've definitely seen the whole extreme there. Mm -hmm. The conversation, oh, you're a military, oh, literally walk away. I've literally had people walk away from me when they find out that I'm military the first time I was there. It was so nice to be able to get involved. Then the church is like making themselves available. Okay, what can we do to help you, to equip you, to fulfill what God is calling you to do here? Are you familiar with the 1993 classic Groundhog Day? That is what a deployment is like. You wake up every day and you do the exact same thing over and over again. You know, you try to make something out of it and then you go through a depression and then you find hope and you find ways to use the time well and, and eventually ends right about the time you're in the right place you need to be. <laughs> I, I literally collapsed when I saw them, you know, and uh, just hugged them. I didn't want to let go and, you know, hugged Jesse for the longest time. And, and I say our deployment because, you know, we all had a piece of that. This is the longest I've been away, seven and a half months. Um, before that, it was, the longest was about four or five months. I'm not a huge Facebook person. And I'm not the spouse that ever posts 10 things that you know that your husband's deployed. I just felt like when I had a hard day or something was going on, I just take it to the Lord in prayer. And it was like incredible how the Lord would always prick the hearts of the women around me. I remember there was, I'd had a really, really bad day. And, um, you know, the kids had had like, cereal for breakfast and cereal for lunch and I was like I, I don't think I can even do dinner there was sickness in the house and um, I you know I got a text message said open the front door and there was two pizzas waiting for me you know there was another time there was like a 10 week period that all three of my kids including myself had had a flu I wasn't sleeping for days on end it was horrific and um, I ended up in the emergency room and 20 minutes after being there a, a girl from Northwood a close sister of mine shows up and sat there with me for a couple hours in the emergency room that whole idea of living life together it might seem cliche or something that you just hear a lot kind of buzzing around north well let's do life together let's live life together but it's so true because living life together is like when things are ugly and things are messy and you got eight loads of laundry and sick kids like you know you're no joke showing up in your pajamas on someone's doorstep and let me you know hey come on in let's you know get that hot you know that chamomile tea brewing and i'm gonna help you fold your laundry that is unspeakable peace for a man you know to know that People are watching out for his family because that's my job and I can't be there and do that. You know, but even long before that, you know, long before I was deployed, it was, you know, Northwood was home for us. Isn't that great? You know, I want to say this about our military families that we really, really appreciate not only what you do for our nation but the value that you bring to this church while you're here. And so as a church, we just embrace every family uh, and we just appreciate every family. So, you know, 
Thank you so much. Mulis was such a great family. Well, they, they, they are still a great family. They're just not here. And so we appreciate that. Uh, and it really expresses the, the culture that we're seeking to, to build here at Northwood. The, these first three weeks of the year, we're sharing with you about Northwood. And someone once said that in the, in the right culture, you can do some things wrong and still be successful. But in the wrong culture, you can do everything perfect and be a failure. And so culture is so valuable. You may have experienced this yourself at times where you, you, you're either in an environment or you ride by a certain portion of town and you see, you know, the, the home that's affluent. There's a nice homes and the cars are nice and everything's to be just in order. Uh, but if you get close to it, you find out sometime in homes like that, in houses like that, the culture is not just so healthy. And so, you know, people just don't function properly. A lot of times there's dysfunctionality in there. But then you can also go to another part of town where, you know, the homes are just average, you know, where most of us live. And the car is not the greatest thing. And maybe the kids don't have the finest trendy clothes. But, but when, you, when you get close and you get in the home, you realize that there's such a richness such a, a great environment conducive to uh, raising healthy kids and having healthy marriages that you just want to embrace that. So culture really is the, is the keeper. It's the thing that makes things really, really roll. And that's what I want to share with you today about Northwood. I want to start by giving a definition of the word culture because I don't know about you, but sometimes I use a word and then I, I have to go back and say, was that word used right? Did I really get the meaning of that word right? And so to help us out today, to define culture, it is the attitudes and behavior, attitudes and behavior characteristics of a particular group. In other words, how people act. And for this message, it's talking about the church. What are the attitudes and the behavioral characteristics of us, of the church? It makes up the culture. And really and truly, you who are in this church, whether you know it or not, you make up the culture of this church. I was here yesterday afternoon, had a four-year-old girl's tea party at my house, so I, I, I vacated, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I, I went and did everything I did to do around town, and then I came by the church, and, uh, and I, I just began to walk around the building, and I was just praying, I went through all the rooms, I went through every room in the building, every nursery, just, just was spending time here, and, and, and just was really pleased that, the, you know, the aesthetics, everything was perfectly in order perfectly clean. Everything was ready for the day. And it was great. And I was just praying. It was wonderful. But I tell you what, it's just a building until people come in because people bring culture. So what kind of culture are we looking for at NC? What do we want to do? I believe, first of all, that it is a culture that seeks God. It's made up of a church of people who seek God. And we seek God in several areas, several ways. First of all, we, we, we seek God to know God. You, 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 you know, sometimes we, we maybe think because God is everywhere at the same time and he's all-knowing and all-powerful that it doesn't take anyone to seek him, that surely he, he's there. But yet the word says, if you'll seek me, God said, you will find me. So it, it's a group of people who seek God. As a matter of fact, our highest quest in life is to seek God, is to seek to know God to know him, who he is. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who had a tremendous experience with Jesus, whose life was transformed, who suffered greatly for the gospel, still, he writes, at the end of his life, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he writes, that I may know him. 
that I may know him. I want to know him. That's my quest, he's saying. And I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering so that I might be conformed to his death. I mean, that's a powerful verse of scripture where the apostle Paul was saying, you know, I'm seeking to know him. And, and you, you may be in this place and you may say, you know what, uh, I, I want to see God, but how do I see God? How do I get to know him? How can I know God? And, and we could spend a, a week's worth of messages on just that, but let me give you one way to start. And I've been doing this for 30 years now, and I've never stopped doing the same thing for 30 years. I, I've got in my hand a Bible. This is the Holy Bible. It says on the front, I know that, Holy Bible. And in it is everything you need as a person, as a human being, to know your God. Everything. You will spend your whole life searching the scriptures, and you will know him more and more. And so you want to pick it up. It's, most of you have it in your pocket right now, in a phone. It's on the TV. It's everywhere. This man's, here you go, right here. You've got, you've got all kind of apps. You've got everything you can imagine to get to know his word. Someone caught me last Wednesday night and said, Pastor, this year, the year of 2015, last year, you challenged us to read the one-year Bible. And he said, I took the challenge, and he said, my life has been totally changed. Everything changed. You know why? Because that person got to know God better. If you don't know the word of God, if you're not seeking God in this word, then you're gonna make a mistake that so many people make. You are going to create a God after your own image. In Genesis, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit said, let us make man after our image, after our likeness. But if you don't know the word of God, you're gonna create a God after your own image, after your own imagination. You're gonna be like people who say, my God would never do that. My God would never let people, my God would not allow, my God. And it's so true. The God that I've created from my own imagination, void of the word of God, will be a God that is strange. It's the highest form of idolatry. It's creating a God after my own image. So you need the word of God. You need to study the word of God. I'm just gonna put the word of God right here so that you can kind of keep looking at the word of God and hopefully you will look at it so much that you will decide, maybe I should pick that word up. By the way, it's very difficult to minister to people who are in the church who are Christians who do not know the word of God. Because when you bring the principles of God to them, when you bring the instruction from the word of God to them, if they have created a God after their own image, they're going to reject truth and embrace a lie. We have to be spiritual people who seek God in the word. No word, wrong God. Watch this. Not only do we seek to know him, we seek to worship him. We seek to worship him. Jesus went through a, a town one day and he stopped at a well and he was talking to a woman and he was kind of preaching the good news to her, but it, it got over into a subject of where to worship. And she said, well, my, my people, the Gentiles, my, my, my people, the, 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 we don't know God too well, but, but our people say we're to worship God in this mountain, but, but your people, you, you say to worship God in Jerusalem. And, and this thing goes on, just this religious conversation. And finally, Jesus, he just decides, let me get to the point here. And he says, you know what? That may be so, but, but the hour is coming and now is. Go ahead and put that scripture up for me. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, ah, true worshipers will worship the Father. You're a good father. 
You're a good father. True worship will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. So it's this thing that comes that says, you know, I want to be a true worship of God. Now, let's not get all weirded out and say, we're true worshipers and not true worshipers. Don't get that attitude because that's a bad attitude. But he's saying, I'm, I'm seeking people who will seek me in worship. It's, it's so tremendous. Uh, worship, and I'll use just, for instance, worship here today in the house today because worship comes in many, many forms. But, you know, this morning, when I got here to church, I needed some batteries for my microphone, so I went into the green room to get them. And when I came out of the green room, just in that little uh, cove there, I just peeked in, and they, they, the worship team was practicing, but they were worshiping. And the prayer team was praying all over this auditorium, and the presence of God was so wonderful that I just had to stand there and just lift my hands in the corner there and just worship him and and you know what I knew I knew I had assurance that God is with us I had assurance that he is permeating the atmosphere and I had assurance that anybody who came in seeking God would find him that's I had full assurance because of his presence seek to worship him so he said well I, I want to worship you know and by the way worship ultimately must be expressed as a matter of fact, anything worth any kind of value must be expressed. Say, I love you, baby. Well, then it has to be expressed. I'm with you, uh, with the employer. Or the, I'm with you, pastor. Then sooner or later, it's got to be expressed in action. And if I'm going to worship God, sooner or later, it has to be expressed. The problem that people have in seeking God in worship is that we try to worship God in our own flesh, in our own mind, and it never works because I can't get out of my conduct and who I am rather than who I am in him. You're a good father, that's who you are. I'm loved by you, that's who I am. And we, 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 we can't get past our own thoughts and our own feelings. Maybe our body's not feeling good that morning or that day or that time or maybe my mind is caught up in or maybe my emotions are all mixed up. But sooner or later, you've got to put that on the side and magnify Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? You've got to magnify him. Why? Because he's worthy to be magnified. You magnify him, and when you make him big, a lot of the things that seem so large in your life become so small. And the closer you get to him, the bigger he gets. Until one day you'll stand before him, and the Bible says of people who were worshiping him, you know, at the throne, they said, he, his face was like a light. And everybody fled from his face. The closer you get to God, the more awesome you realize he is. It's people who seek to worship him in spirit and truth. Now, I will give you a key on how to worship God sooner or later. You've got to say to your, your flesh, to your emotions, to your soul, you've got to command your soul to worship the Lord. How do you do that? Like David said, soul, you will bless the Lord, Period. You just have to, you say, well, can I, your spirit is saying that. Just let it out. I will worship you, Lord. Here I go. Ho, ho, yes, this is good, Lord. But it's not, I don't worship God because it's good for me. We worship God because he is God. That's it. He is God. That's it. So express your worship. Express your worship. Number three. The culture is made up of people who seek to follow him. 
Jesus is, is amazing. I love the Lord. The further he got in his ministry, the closer he got to the cross, the more intense he got, the more powerful his preaching got, the more confrontational he was, and the more he taught his disciples on a deeper level. In Matthew 16, 24, he really begins to put the screws down, so to speak, when he told his disciples, he said this, if anyone desires to come after me, man, if you want to come after me, then let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You want to follow me? Then Lay it down, man. Pick up this cross and let's go do something. For whoever, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? A culture made up of people who seek God, who, who go after God, who obey his commandments, not because I got I to gotta obey, I got to obey. No, his commandments are not burdensome to people who are seeking after him, who are seeking his will and seeking his ways. It's not burdensome. Like, oh, man, I got to, I got to, I got You know what? I'm going to tell you when you know you cross over from death to life, when your got to's become your want to's. When your got to's become your want to's, you're going to say something like, this is good. But as long as you got to, you got to, you got to. If that's all you got is your got to's, you ain't got much. Okay? They got to become your want to's. I love you, Lord, because you first loved me. While I was still a sinner, you died for me. That is like awesome, God. I don't understand it, but I just believe you. It's good. You know, my kids, when they were growing up, sometimes they just believed me. Before they understood, they just believed me, and they got the benefit of believing me. Proverbs chapter 3, we read it today in the one-year Bible. If you read in the one-year Bible, the last verse in Proverbs today said that if we will seek God's will in all that we do, he will direct your path. He will direct your path. Not necessarily your path. See, he will give you his path and hope that it is your path that you say, God, I'm going to choose your path over my path. Then that's the path he's going to direct. He's not going to direct just some fool stuff going on all over everywhere, the place, you know, just acting a fool. But he's going to direct people who are seeking him and saying, I want your will, not my will be done. And when you go after God as a disciple, I'm going to tell you, your life will change. There will be movement in your life. And when you follow Jesus, you're going to be going somewhere in life. So... This culture, these are the three building blocks of a culture that we're seeking to have at Northwood, made up of people who, who, who want to know God, who want to worship God, and who want to follow God. And when that happens, it creates a culture that magnifies the life of Christ. It's a culture that reflects Christ to people. And it's so necessary. I like what the Mueller said. I mean, they just said the culture right off. It was accepting. We loved it. People helped us. I mean, it, it showed the main service. It showed small groups. It showed relationships formed in small groups. It taught us what the culture is supposed to be like, what the culture is, and what we're seeking to increase. But this culture is established and maintained by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, the Bible clearly states it, it states so clearly to us that the fruit of the Spirit that is produced by the Holy Spirit in a person's life is things like, you know, uh, love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that it produces. Now, I don't want to do a teaching on the fruit of the Spirit necessarily, but you should seek God in the Word on that for your own life and just see where, where God and you are in that fruit of the Spirit. But it is what is produced by the Holy Spirit and the components of this Jesus culture 
has everything to do with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, all these wonderful things. But but the the culture that it produces is, first of all, a life-giving culture, not a life-taking culture, a life-giving, a supply of life to people rather than a sucking the life out of people. Have you ever been somewhere where the life just got sucked right out of you? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's life-giving. It's not legalistic. It's not harsh. And it's not religious, folks. It's none of these things that, that so many have painted as what God is like. He's tough. You want to follow God? Tough. Yeah, he's the, he, I tell you, he'll, just, he'll kill you. He'll kill you. He'll kill you good. You just make one false step. He's there and he's perfect. And he's going to kill you. Dead. He's going to kill you dead, and you deserve it. I don't deserve it, but you deserve it, right? Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, the thief, the, the devil, the enemy comes except for nothing, no other reason. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you and everything in your life. But I have come. I've come for a different purpose. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. God wants you to have an abundant life. Don't misunderstand what the word abundant means. We think it means just stuff, but it, it is a full life that's full of life. And it gives and it's wonderful. And Jesus knows it. And, and Jesus, you know, the thing about Jesus is that he wants to make it easy for people to go to heaven. So many people want to make it hard, but it's life giving. It's also an accepting culture, an accepting culture. Regardless of somebody's social status, the color of their skin, their background, what they've been into, where they're going, what's going on, regardless of all their education or whether they have money or they don't or whatever, maybe they got social status in the community, none of that is, regardless of all of that, it is an accepting culture. Matter of fact, I love the word regardless. The, the meaning is without paying attention to the present circumstance, this present situation, no matter what, regardless of all that, no matter what's going on in a person's life, it's an accepting culture. You know, I brought this little funnel from my house as an illustration. When Jesus came to this earth, he found a religious system made up of leaders, programs, rules, that people had decided was the best way to follow God. And when Jesus came on, he, he spoke to the, the Pharisees of that day, the religious leaders, those who were supposed to be leading people to God and in the ways of God. And he said, you are making it so hard. He said, you, you don't go into the kingdom of God and you're keeping other people from going in. You've made it so hard for people to get to heaven. You've restricted it so much. You, you've made so many rules. Can't touch this. Don't touch that. Can't go here. Can't go there. You, you've made it all outward. You've missed the inward. You've made it tough. You, you're not going to heaven, he said. And I'm like, you're keeping people from going to heaven. And so what Jesus did, the reason why they became so angry with him is because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He's a good father. But you have created a God after your own image. He says, well, I'm changing things. So Jesus kind of just turned things around. <laughs> and Jesus said, every one of you who are tired and beat up and abused and misused and, and arrogant and depressed, 
and losers and every one of you need help, come to me and I will give you rest. Come get in my process. Come just get in. I want to make it easy. I'm opening up heaven to you. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. Come on now. I'm opening it all up to you. I make, come on, just jump in, get on, the, just jump in and just start moving around. Just moving in. Now, for all of you Bible scholars who you're thinking right now, you're thinking right now, you've got it. You're up in Matthew. You're up in, you say, oh, but pastor, Jesus said, narrow. Narrow is the way. It's small. And it's so, don't you know it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. I understand that. And that is true. But Jesus says, get in the process. Come on. Jew, Gentile, male, female, religious, Roman, make no difference. Come on. Take my yoke upon you and let me start working on you. And eventually, yes, yes, it gets narrow. Yes, narrow is the way. But my God, we've got to have a culture in our church that says, come on in so you're addicted to drugs. Come in so you're in adultery. Come in so you messed up. Come in so you've been abused and your mind and your soul is fragmented. Come in. Just come in. And let God transform your life. Because listen, Jesus, mm, Jesus, Jesus is so wonderful. I think I'll just set this, the, the church uh, right here. I think, I'll, no, I think I'll do this. I think I'll just set it like this. Huh? There we go. Just, just keep looking at it. Because the word of God gives access to God. Amen. Now, it's an accepting culture. It just is. Jesus said, you come to me, the Father's given to me, you, you're never going to be rejected. Jesus really doesn't reject anybody except those who reject him. Then there's no way he can embrace you when you reject him. It has to also be a forbearing culture. A forbearing culture. I love the word forbearance. It means politely or patiently restraining an impulse to do or say something. I want to tell you what, what will, I want to tell you, for you who want to be mature, James said, if you mature, you'll bridle your mouth. If you're mature, if you're living on a higher plane with God, not above people, but just you know God, if you're seeking God, then when people come into your life, whether it's in the church, on the job, in the family, and they got some wickety-wackety ideas about God, and maybe their life is just kind of splintered here and there, if you will restrain your impulse to say or do something, you will be in a forbearing culture. And Jesus was that way. Jesus, our example, was that way. He didn't give a, a, a condemning or, a, or a, a forbidding culture when all rules, no, you better not, you barking, I'm barking at you. What Jesus did was this. One day, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible, a woman is caught in adultery. Men bring her before Jesus and put her in front of him. And they tell Jesus, the law of Moses says we should stone her because she is caught in the act of adultery. 
And Jesus gives time and then he gives a word of wisdom and he says, you who are without sin, I want you, you're right, let's, come on, you lead us, you pick up the rock first, you stone her first. They were convicted and they left one by one. And then Jesus, don't miss this, then Jesus looked at the woman and he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, I don't know where they are. I, I don't, she, you can imagine how shamed and guilted she was and I mean, sitting there before, you know, just a mess. And he looked at her and he said, woman, they can't condemn you and neither will I condemn you. See, Jesus is not condemning. But then he added something. He said, but sin no more. I want you to go and sin no more. I'm not condemning you. They got, they're not going to, I'm not going to condemn you, but go and sin no more. Jesus... <laughs> Look, folks, if we're in an accepting and forbearing culture, we're going to be criticized for being so easy on sin. I'm being criticized right now. So, yeah, that church over there, they, 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 uh, they don't, they ain't preaching the truth. Bad, 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 bad. But let me tell you something. If we go about condemning people before the Holy Spirit can convict them, at best, the best we will have is behavioral modification. Don't change your behavior. Straighten up. Walk straight. Yes, sir. Behavioral modification. But if we will let the Holy Spirit work in people's lives, I'll just give the Holy Spirit as much time in somebody else's life as he took to get this boy straight. Then we'll have something a lot better than behavioral modification. We will have life transformation. And I'm going to tell you right now, if there's not life transformation, God's not in it. He's not in just behavioral modification. He's in life transformation. And might I say that if there's a life that's transformed, your behavior will come in line. It will come in line. You understand? It'll be all right. It's okay. Jesus doesn't condemn. And by the way, he doesn't wink at sin. The book of Acts said there was a time that God winked at sin, but now he tells every person, he commands every person to repent. So God's not condoning. You know, just because you don't condemn something doesn't mean you're condoning it. Let's get out of that bondage right now, today as a church. Just because we don't condemn it doesn't mean we're condoning it. Make sense to you? Isn't that a great culture? Man, life-giving culture, accepting culture, forbearing culture, it's a forgiving culture. It's a forgiving culture. How we need forgiveness, how... Oh, how much more forgiveness we need. Because to forgive means to pardon or grant favor. Did you know that if somebody offends you, that you're in the driver's seat and you can either forgive them or not? Do you know if you have that power to do that? That you have that power to do that? But I like what Jesus said. Oh, I like what Jesus said. He's talking to the people in the book of Matthew chapter 5 and he says, you know what? If you or, or at church, if you're at the altar and you find out that you got something wrong with you in your heart towards another person, he says, I want you to leave your gift right there before the altar. Lay that lamb down right there at the altar. Don't go any further in your worship. Don't go any, go your way first, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's like I would tell you right now, if you're sitting in your chair right now, and you have realized that you have 
offense to someone or someone to you, and it's just not, I mean, it's really awful. I would suggest that you, and I'll give you permission, and, and you'd have to be real bold to do this, but get up, get out of your chair right now. We're finished talking to you. Get in your car, get on your phone, find that person, talk to them, and get it right today. Because if you've got revenge in your heart, if you've got this awful bitterness up in your heart, you can lift your hands and scream with your voice, but God's saying, before you offer that gift, why don't you go ahead and get it right with that person? It's a forgiving culture. Jesus died for me while I was still sinning. Jesus forgave me before I earned forgiveness. You understand? It's a forgiving. Oh, what, what, kind, what kind of culture is it? I forgive you, bro. Hey, it's all right. Hey, look, you know what? I'm not perfect either. So you said something wrong. Instead of, well, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You really meant that. Well, you know, sometimes I just say the wrong thing. You understand what I'm saying? Let's give a little help to people that are hurting. And lastly, it's a healing and restoring culture. Jesus brought about this wonderful atmosphere. He went into the synagogue one day and they picked on him to, to, to teach. They said, hey, you, won't you come on up? And so he came up. He had them hand him the scroll that Isaiah had written. He opened it up and he began to read out of the book of Isaiah. It's recorded in Luke chapter 4. And this is what Jesus said. And this really shows us the healing and restoring culture that Jesus wants in his church. And that I believe is resident in this church. And God's going to turn up the fire on it. He said, the spirit of the Lord, the fruit of the spirit in my life. The produce that's coming from the Spirit of the Lord being upon me and anointing me. He's anointed me. He's on me. He's with me. He's transforming me. He's empowering me to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm bringing the good news to, to the poor. Good news. The gospel is good news. Hello, come on. Hey, the church is good news. The culture is, it's, it's, it's this party, it's good news. This is good not, oh, yeah, go, go sit down over let there. Let the pastor, he's going to whoop you good today. It's good news. And some of you, that's the only thing you receive. You say, man, what, what's up with that soft preaching? I want somebody to just slap me good, tell me off, tell me I'm going to hell if I don't do this. You, you, you're in the right place. You need healing. You need healing. He said he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That means when you come into the culture of healing and restoration, if you've been abused physically or spiritually or sexually, if you've been torn apart, if your soul has been fragmented, if, if you don't know which way to go, you're, you're the perfect candidate to be put in this environment so that your broken heart might be healed. Some of you, it's relational. Some of you, things just, look, life is bad sometimes. Things happen that hurt deeply. But we've got to get into an environment where we can be healed. The brokenhearted are healed. He said, I want you to proclaim liberty to the captives. Wow. People that are in bondage. Man, look, we live in a world full of bondage. I was in bondage. I understand bondage and addiction. And I understand the plague of it. What it will do to a family. But I want to tell you this right now. Jesus is well able and willing to set you free. To give you liberty. 
to those. He says, I want to recover the sight of the blind, physically and spiritually. Because the Bible says our minds have been blinded by the, by the devil in this world, 1 Corinthians 4.4. 4. We need to be able to see. We need to have an, an environment where, where salve is put on our spiritual eyes, where we are able to see again. Because I don't know about you, but I came into church, man, I couldn't see anything. I mean, I didn't know anything. I didn't know which way to go. I, I, I imagine, boy, we were a motley crew, Jan and I. We just come in. Man, we just met God. We were dumb for God. We know nothing. Thank God we came in a place where people said, it's okay that you're dumb for God. It's okay that you don't know anything about the scriptures and anything about worship or anything about the church. It's okay. Just come on in. We're going to be your friend. Can I tell you about environments that God will bring you in? I'll never forget the first meal we had as Christians with a Another Christian family in the church. They invited us to come eat at their home. We went into their mobile home in a little old dinette set in the corner by the window. We ate rice and gravy with a little piece of meat and some corn out of a can. That was the meal. And that was 35 years ago. And when we left, and we just ate and talked, and we left there, and I got in the car. I said, Jan, did you feel that? Did you, what, wasn't that just good? Wasn't that just so, like, there was no tension there, were, there was no expectations. There, there was, I, I didn't have to put on a show. I didn't have to be, you know, uh, do something to be accepted. They just loved us. Rice and gravy with a little corn out of a can in the, in the corner of a mobile home. One of the best meals I've ever had in my whole life. I'd rather eat a can of corn in the right culture than a steak in a stinking place. Come on now, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? It's the way that he said, I want to, you know, he said, he said, I want to set you at those who are oppressed. You're going to get liberty. You oppressed. There's liberty for you. He said, oh man, he, they're, they're weird people. Well, you know, they're weird people. You were weird too. <laughs> man, look at them. They don't look like they got it together. No, they don't have it together. Of course they don't. We barely have it together. And then he said, the Spirit of God is going to help you proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the presence of God. So what are we to say to all this? Let me sum it up for you. The church is not a social club for saints. You, you know, folks, let me, let me just tell you something right now. If this is the kind of church you want, you're in the wrong place. I want to release you to just go ahead and find that spot. There's a bunch of them. If that's the church you want. This is the church I'm going to pastor. This is the church we're pastoring. Now, it's not a social club. I don't apologize for not having 25 social things for you to do. You're a social being. Let me give you a social thing to do. Invite somebody to your house. Feed them some rice and gravy and some corn and love on them and see if God will do something massive in their life. You see? Go bowling with somebody. I don't know. Get in the car. Go eat ice cream with another couple of people. You can do all that. The church doesn't have to supply social things to do. The church is not, it's not a social club for saints, but it is definitely a hospital for people that are beat up that need healing. It really is. There's no way to look at it. No, Jesus said he was the great physician. He said, I didn't come to seek those who are well. You don't need it. You're well. You say, Pastor, man, we need longer sermons, need more words. You don't need it, you well. <laughs> Jesus is living on the inside of you. Lift your hands, open up your mouth, and worship him in your bathroom, your car, the backyard, everywhere you go, on the job, in your heart, in your mind. God's there with you. Yes. 
What we do is to help people find God. Because a hospital, when you go into a hospital and you're sick, really sick, they're going to lay you in a bed. They're going to put all kinds of wires and tubes on you. And they're going to diagnose what's wrong with you. And they have people serving you and helping you. Now, guess what? God's going to, God, if he can trust us, he's going to bring in people like that. And we need to be the nurses and the doctors, man. Now, sometimes a nurse and a doctor get sick. I understand that. Man, we need a little, yeah, come on. You, that's why you got small groups, prayer lines, prayer people, telephones, friends, texts, Facebook. You got all kinds of things to help you take care of that. But some people, they have no one to pick them up when they fall. And our life is given for the rest of our life to pick up people that have fallen down. And then you know what? Once you get better, they start taking tubes out of you and taking those little wires off of you. Next thing you know, you lay up in bed, you're hungry. Give me some food. You eat some food. Next thing, your eyes are right, your color's right, your blood pressure right. And you know what the doctor says next thing? What he says? He says, come on, get out of the hospital. Go home. Live. Amen, church? That's the way it is. Come on, let's bow our heads together. Jesus is wonderful. He's so powerful. And for you who are church people and you've got your act together in the grace of God and he's a good father to you and you're loved by him and that's who you are in Christ. Just thank the Lord right there where you are. Just begin to get along with God. And then as we move a little bit further here, begin to pray for others who maybe don't have that wonderful thing that you have. Father, I thank you for every person in this room and I thank you for your church, God who is alive and healthy. Thank you, Lord God, that you've created a place here that is safe to fail, a place that will bring health by your spirit. But Lord, I pray for every person that's sitting in this room right now who are damaged and hurting and who maybe have not seeked after you or followed you and they don't know how to worship you, God, and they like our worth. I was 35 years ago, didn't know much about anything, disconnected pray that you draw them close to you today. Now, if you're sitting in this room while we're just all alone with God, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, and God is zeroing in on just that chair that you're sitting in, just you in that environment, just you all by yourself. It's not your spouse, it's not your parents, it's not your friend. You're just all alone with God, and God's speaking to you. If you're in need of life transformation and a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to pray with you right now. And God is going to answer this prayer. He never fails to answer this prayer. What we're getting ready to do is not a religious exercise. It's a spiritual experience with God. He's listening. You're going to speak. He's going to answer. It's an interchange. Right where you are, if you say, Pastor, that's me. I want a relationship with Jesus. And you may be a person who was once with God, now far away. Maybe you were young, you committed to something you weren't sure about. It never worked out. You've been disillusioned by it, but you've come back again and said, I believe that God is real, and I want to serve him. Here's your opportunity. This is what I'm asking you to do. While everybody's bowing their heads, you just shoot your hand up and say, Pastor, pray with me. I want that. I want a relationship with Jesus. Come on. Don't, there you go. Thank you, man. Don't be afraid. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Don't be afraid. Yes, yes. Don't, come on. Yes, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Come on. That's right. Some of you have been guilted into serving God. It never worked. You've had a bad taste in your mouth, and, and, and you're saying, I want to switch sides. I want life-giving. That's what I want. If that's you, you never, come on, just shoot your hand up and say, yes, me. That's right. There you go. I mean, people want, they, 
people want God. We've been created to want God, to seek Him. Right there, right where you are, whether you raised your hand or not, I'm going to lead you in this simple prayer. Somebody helped me one day, I'm helping you now. Just say this simple prayer. Say, Father in heaven, I'm lost. I'm coming to you. I'm seeking you. I'm asking you to forgive me for the way I've lived, for the sin that I've allowed in my life. Would you come and change me and clean me up? I submit to you and I surrender to you. And I am thankful today that you love me, that you care about me, that you have forgiven me, and that you have saved me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, Northwood. I want to thank the Lord for touching people today. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.